0: Good afternoon, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Liam Sturgis, and you are watching Rounding the News this is your weekly news roundup presented by Rounding the Earth. Now, we've got a very, uh, very, well, fun, certainly interesting show. Uh, An important show for me. Hopefully an important show for you as well. So let's get into it, ladies and gentlemen, on this Friday, May 5th. Today's episode is titled Strong and Free. Now, before we dive in too much, I want to remind everybody that uh, no matter where you're watching, there's a way to support the show, which in turn, of course, supports me. Allows me to continue doing this uh, with Matthew Crawford, founder of Rounding the Earth. And uh, I think we do a lot of good stuff here. So if you're watching on Rumble, you can leave us a Rumble rant. Uh, 100% of Rumble rants go to us, the creator, for the remainder of 2023. Uh, Rockfin as well. You can leave tips and you can do so as well. On Odyssey, you can leave library tokens. But of course, the best way to support the show is to join us over on our Rounding the Earth community. You can find us at roundingtheearth.locals.com. Sign up to be a free member if you like, where you can stay up to date with everything we're doing, or you can choose to uh, support us financially for as little as five bucks a month, or even a one-time contribution, which will gain you access to our weekly Locals exclusive for supporters only live streams. And uh, this past week, two days ago was very exciting because Matthew is now working on uh, the beginnings of what will become a book. And uh, we've titled that discussion, Help Me Fill In Gaps for the Efficacy Illusion. So if you want to get involved, uh, then go over to roundingtheearth.locals.com and become a paid supporter. So let's dive in. As always, this week is (laughs) overflowing with tremendously interesting things that have happened. And uh, I'm going to just very briefly cover a couple of them. Uh, before we dive into the main topic. So you may have heard that over in Russia, the Kremlin was struck by two different drones. Uh, Understand that the Kremlin is like the White House. It's like Parliament. Uh, uh, it's, it's It's the building that is the head of the government of Russia. And there's a lot of the fog of war surrounding this story. Just understand the severity of the allegations being made, though. Uh, Now, of course, there's a possibility this entire thing is fake, but let's assume that indeed there were drones that struck the Kremlin. Well, you've got Russia, who has come out and accused Ukraine, I believe as a surrogate for the United States, as having attempted to assassinate Russian President Vladimir Putin. Now, I don't know what evidence they provided thus far. This is an unfolding story. But I just wanted to share a couple of headlines as I found them uh, that sort of paint a picture on how the West, quote unquote, our side, is reacting to this. You have false flag. Analysts say Russia likely staged Kremlin drone attack it blamed on Ukraine and the West. Now understand what is being suggested there. And understand once again that this is equivalent to the White House or to uh, Canadian Parliament being attacked. And if the suggestion here is that Russia would conduct an attack on its own capital, well, isn't that interesting? I suppose that affirms the premise that the United States government might conduct a false flag attack on its own capital. (laughs) Perhaps the capital itself. Uh, of course, the equivalent being the White House. And that's not quite what happened on January 6, for example. But or, for example, a, a staged attack on Canadian Parliament. The point is, these are not assertions that would be made lightly in reverse. So it is interesting to see that uh, that is, in fact, the uh, the analysis being put forward. Now, perhaps there's some interesting discussion to be had there. I'm not sure. But another headline, Russia is canceling Victory Day celebrations to hide its military losses and is using alleged Kremlin drone strike as an excuse, experts say. So I'll be curious to see who these analysts and experts are when I have a little more time to pursue that this evening. Um, I did want to direct you, however, to a discussion I thought was very informative, very productive, even if it is speculative. And this was held by the Duran They had a a live stream titled, Let's Talk About Drones Hitting the Kremlin. Um, This is uh, Alexander, Alex and Alexander, I can't remember their last names, of the Duran. And a friendly reminder that all of these will be available in the show notes once I complete them and publish them shortly after this video today. So that's, that's the craziness of Russia and Ukraine. But unfortunately, things continue to be crazy over in the nation of France. We haven't talked about this very much, but you may have heard that, uh, well, people aren't very happy with one Emmanuel Macron, who fairly recently uh, pushed through by dictate a reform to uh, to uh, retirement or to to um, uh, pension. Uh, and 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 the details of this, of course, are not my area of expertise. However, it's quite clear the French people are not happy. They weren't happy before. They weren't uh, likely to support this new change to pension law. Uh, and that is, in fact, apparently why the Macron government decided to push through by such heavy handed dictate. And the result is protests across the country, which have been going on, I believe, virtually every day for weeks now. And uh, the headline from France 24 that I had pulled up is Independent Report Slams Indiscriminate Arrests at French Pension Protests. So apparently they're indiscriminate arrests now thankfully in canada we're not dealing with uh with violence of any kind Uh, no in fact we're dealing simply with protests now this is very relevant for more reasons than some people may think so federal employees strike continues to shut down canada now stop me if you've heard this one before now employees of the government of canada for those who don't know are on strike. And a lot of them are still on strike, effectively shutting down aspects of the country in the process, shutting down the ability for parts of the country to function. On April 7th, 2023, the Public Service Alliance of Canada announced that its membership of Canada Revenue Agency employees voted overwhelmingly in favor of taking strike action on behalf of 35,000 workers represented by the Union of Taxation Employees and the Public Service Alliance of Canada. Uh, And they were joined on April 12th by a second group called the Treasury Board. Okay, so it's not just tax employees, but they are a large portion of that strike. As has been widely noted, of course, the decision to go on strike at this exact moment makes life very difficult for Canadians, given that the tax deadline, the deadline to file your federal income tax was May 1st. And for whatever reason, calls to extend that deadline for this year have been entirely dismissed. No one wants to hear it. Now, there was some headline. Uh, some there was some headline news that had people thinking maybe this had been resolved, but no. While the Treasury Board staff managed to strike a deal with the government on May first, the Canada Revenue Agency employees were not included in that deal and remain on strike. As a result, according to Global News, I quote UTE National President Marc Briere told reporters wednesday it's been a rough couple of weeks for taxpayers and those who help them file and the effects of the strike would be long lasting they went through a hell of a time and i think that some people are late so there's an impact and there will be a big backlog he said there's already a backlog but if the strike doesn't get resolved it's going to be a tremendous backlog at the cra so this goes without saying and the point is it's not just the people who process the Uh, the returns once they're in, it's also the people who help Canadians file their taxes. Um, uh, I just want to point out, it seems we've got a wonderful, robust discussion going on in the locals chat. That's absolutely fantastic. Thank you all. And I will read these after the episode, but continue to uh, discuss away. And I'll, uh, Lots of protests in Israel, too. I don't know the details, but just another example of people protesting. Jen, thank you actually for contributing that. That is very true. And I believe it has to do with Netanyahu uh, attempting to do something that is unpopular, but I, I do not remember. Anyway, so um, moving on, the demands set out. What are they asking for? So the demands set out by the PSAC, Public Service Alliance of Canada, in their strike action began uh, with asking for a 13.5% raise in order to match inflation. Can you believe inflation officially is apparently 13.5%? Okay. As well as the flexibility to work remotely, the reduction of the government's use of outside contractors, and the implementation of seniority rules in the event of layoffs. So look, aside from the very real difficulties caused to Canadian citizens by the Mere act of the CRA going on strike. The act has celebrated the actions by the picketers to, quote, shut down critical infrastructure across the country completely unrelated to taxation. In one such thread, discussing their various escalated strike actions, the act boasted that they had shut down the ports of Vancouver, Montreal, and St. John's, blockaded the Treasury Board office in Ottawa and other strategic locations from coast to coast. Now, while the right to go on strike, as far as I can tell, is fundamental to liberal democracy as we have it here in Canada, many incredulous onlookers are pointing out the utter hypocrisy highlighted by this particular action as compared To the violent response to the Freedom Convoy 2022 protest in Ottawa. And related protests, of course, across Canada. Which, remember, they were accused of blockading critical infrastructure and shutting down border crossings. Which this protest is doing at significantly higher levels. The... The example of a tweet I provided here from someone replying, send the cavalry, freeze bank accounts, and throw them in jail. Now, I read that as sarcasm. But it's a very valid point. Realistically, the takeaway message here is not that the CRA employees on strike are crossing a line by going on strike or engaging in these strike-related actions. Although I suppose one could argue even this is going too far. I'm not sure. Maybe it comes down to a matter of opinion, but instead, this serves, I believe, as a reminder that such actions to disrupt the status quo of the day-to-day of government operations is not at all unexpected in a strike action like this. Let this serve, perhaps, then, as an opportunity to revisit the unlawful and authoritarian response to the Freedom Convoy once again and to remind those around us of the absurdity highlighted by the drastic contrast in institutional treatment of the two. On the other hand, one can't help but wonder if there are details not far below the surface that may shed light on matters. (sighs) I wonder how many times I've used that line. Well, PSAC. I learned, is partnered with the Canadian Labour Congress. In fact, I believe it is part of the Canadian Labour Congress, as well as the Association of Public Service Alliance Retirees. Now, as it turns out, I had previously stumbled on this Canadian Labour Congress in research into an initiative called Faster Together, of which the Canadian Labour Congress is a partner. Now, Faster Together describes itself as Quote, a voluntary effort of a wide variety of people working together to promote COVID-19 vaccine acceptance and help speed a recovery from this pandemic. FasterTogether.ca, go check them out. Well, other partners of this COVID-19 vaccine promotion initiative, in their words, are employers from across Canada. This includes the country's universities, labor unions, trade associations, sports teams, cities, towns, district municipalities, banks, insurance companies, you name it. Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, they're all there. The biotechnology industry is also well represented by their own industry association, Biotech Canada, as well as the Pfizer and or Moderna, depending on the organization, funded 19 to 0 the Bioscience Association, Manitoba, and Life Sciences, British Columbia. So maybe I'm uh, overestimating the impact of the lobby. Call it the pharmaceutical lobby. Call it the pro-COVID agenda lobby. I don't care. But there's a lobby there, and it could be that I'm overestimating the impact that it could have or did have in an extended network like this. On the other hand, Perhaps it is not so surprising, after all, that one of these groups of federally regulated employees received better treatment than the other. Especially given that one was protesting the forced, coerced, mandatory acceptance of this particular pharmaceutical product. Anyway, on the note of things not going so hot in Canada on that front. The National Citizens' Inquiry in Vancouver. So from Tuesday to Thursday this week, the National Citizens' Inquiry, or NCI, made its stop in Langley, British Columbia, just outside of Vancouver, for the Vancouver arm of the national tour. For those unaware, the NCI is a non-governmental, citizen-run, and self-funded investigation uh, campaign, you might say, looking into Canada's handling of the declared COVID-19 pandemic, hearing testimony from hundreds of professionals and everyday citizens. I, myself, I was personally able to attend days one and three, hearing firsthand some of the most impressive and impactful stories and presentations that have come out of the last three years. Now, I have on screen just just a sampling of those presentations Top left, we have Matthew Evans-Cockle. Top right, we have Deanna McLeod. Bottom left is me. And bottom right is Gail Davidson. I highly recommend going and watching each of them. Matthew talked a bit about conflicts of interest and the way that our universities, the way we think of them versus what they actually do. uh, The ideological and financial conflicts there. It was tremendously interesting. Deanna revisited the Pfizer inoculations do more harm than good video that went so viral and got Dr. Robert Malone kicked off Twitter that exposed that even the clinical trials run for the Pfizer BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine showed quite literally that the products cause more harm than good before they were even rolled out to the rest of the world. I talked a little bit about, well, I'll explain in a second. And Gail talked about the international human right, uh, uh, obligations that Canada has failed to meet, and in fact, most countries around the world have failed to meet, and it presented a really interesting conundrum that perhaps we'll revisit another time. I highly recommend watching. Now, uh, some of you may recall. So, why was I there? I'm no expert. Um, I, I, some of you may recall. In June of 2022, I was invited to participate in an event titled "A Citizen's Hearing" in Toronto, Ontario. My flight left Vancouver mere hours after the federal restriction on travel for citizens deemed to be unvaccinated, whatever that means, was suspended. In my role as secretary, I had the honor, as you can see, of sitting beside Preston Manning, Susan Natshe, and David Ross, who served as the panel for a citizens' hearing. My specific job was to take notes, which i frantically did while listening to the in-person and online testimonies my fingers have never hurt so much but it was well worth it and just as a as, as a as an aside for those who followed the corbett report you may have seen james corbett's recent interview with nci spokesperson michelle leduc cat catlin catlin oh i don't even know how to pronounce that now the thumbnail for the video part of Corbett's Solutions Watch series features the NCI in the top two quadrants, and interestingly, a citizen's hearing in the bottom two. I was proud and ecstatic to find that I am in that thumbnail, as it felt like a surefire sign that my contributions to this cause have been valuable and valued. And as a Corbett Report community member myself, it was very exciting to be acknowledged, even in this very passive way. So, thank you, James. And I know why he did that. It's because these pictures are featured on the National Citizens Inquiry website as part of the story of how the NCI came to be. Now, this event, the National Citizens, or oh, rather the Citizens Hearing, was the first opportunity that I had to meet in real life people who had become good friends over the internet since mid-2021, and just as notably, to place myself right in front of people who had suffered the physical consequences of the all-too-common adverse events from the various COVID-19 vaccine products that they were coerced into taking. Some might say forced. It was, a no, it, it was no longer just a matter of numbers, as reported by my friends at Open VAERS, and welcome to Eagle 88, reporting on the new theirs drops every Friday. It was a matter of eye contact with people who may never return to their former selves. Of course, the inverse is also true. Through their suffering, it was clear to me that these everyday people had become extraordinary by refusing to go gently into that good night. Truthfully, I imagine that they were always extraordinary. And it was through this tragic and avoidable suffering that they have demonstrated to themselves how powerful they really are. These are victims in one sense, but so too are they the heroes in this story. So what then? So as a citizens hearing completed and a next steps task force went about planning what would become the National Citizens Inquiry, it became clear that no one opportunity to share stories would successfully cement them into history, at least not everybody. And as we know, as a, where did I put this? as we know, as newly minted celebrities like Steve Kirsch, Jessica Rose, Robert Malone, and long-established names like Jordan Peterson and James Corbett, as they all stepped into the spotlight for their NCI testimonies. Many others would inevitably not be selected to testify for a second time. Now, that's primarily a matter of logistics. There are Truly, only so many hours in the week and a limited wealth with which to rent conference rooms and hire audiovisual teams. In some cases, I imagine someone's story may not be deemed sensational enough in order to advance the larger agenda of shocking our friends, family members and neighbors to attention, which we certainly need to do. Look, these are reasonable choices that have to be made. And the result is that some of those names will be lost to time as the rest of the world moves on. Even if it is that they're moving on to the next such opportunity to hear stories. I can't stop that. None of us can stop that. And that's that's the nature of history. the this, The grains of sand the grains of sand in time. But one way I thought I might be able to help minimize this effect and just simply to capture and document the history is by translating the testimonies presented at a citizen's hearing into a format, a written format, which could be more easily handed to friends and family and elected officials who otherwise might decline to visit a website, for example. They're tired of getting your emails. Furthermore, as I learned from Sonia Anderson, who organized a citizen's hearing, and my colleague Lisa uh, of the Canadian COVID Care Alliance, a book, of course, can be submitted to Library and Archives Canada, or the Library of Congress, if you're in the United States, to be included in the nation's official record. And so, that's what I did. The official report from a citizen's hearing is now available for all and i want to be very clear i'm not here to sell you anything it's available for all in digital form for free and yes it is as well available in paperback hardcover and ebook through amazon (laughs) now i know that many people take issue with amazon as do i and by the way here's here is my copy of of the uh the hardcover that uh, i purchased the paperbacks are slightly better formatted but The reason we went with Amazon in this instance is that it was likely the only way we could have physical copies printed without asking for a significant down payment for printing costs from the Canadian COVID Care Alliance, who had already dispensed tens of thousands of dollars in in donations to set up the event in the first place. What Amazon does is it allows us to offer the book through a print-on-demand Uh, through print-on-demand, which is a service which does not yet, as far as I can tell, seem to have a more independent alternative. There was talk of reaching out to Children's Health Defense and their CHD books to ask if they would publish the book for us. And perhaps it's not too late to explore that option if they'll have us. But for now, we have accomplished at least part of our mission. And... Jen Jen Slavin notes that she has a copy as well. And yes, I remember well when she bought it. I was very excited. She was among the first. So thank you again. And to be clear, all of the proceeds, the profit that comes in from the books, go to the Canadian COVID Care Alliance to continue to use them for nonprofit purposes, to continue advocating and producing materials, all the stuff you would want an organization like the CCCA to be doing. So, we've accomplished at least part of our mission. Susan Natchez, who I wrote the executive summary of the book with. In fact, she wrote most of it. I simply formatted that part. And as well as David Ross, the executive director of the CCCA, they suggested that I present the report as evidence for the NCI's own record. And that is what I did. My entire testimony from Thursday, May 4th, has been clipped and uploaded. Uh, at, clipped by my friend Gabriel at Libre Solutions Network. Big thank you. And I took that and I've uploaded that uh, so far to my YouTube channel. And I'm going to upload that to Rumble and to all the other Rounding the Earth channels as well. And I thought about playing it here, but you know what? We're going to have the opportunity to do that at a later date because there is more. There is more to look at today. Because as time. Remains a restriction on us all. I wasn't able to do what I really wanted to do, which is to read the names of the brave Canadians who provided testimony at a citizen's hearing. I tried. We ran out of time. So when you watch the video, you're not going to see that. But I'm very proud to do that now. So I'm going to turn to the end of my copy here. So. The Canadian COVID Care Alliance extends its deepest gratitude to all those who provided testimony during a citizen's hearing Chief Hugh Akogi, Dean Allison, Beau Bedard, Kayla Bishop, Miriam Bohemier, Louis Brown, Sean Buckley, Colin Carey, Dr. Francis Christian, April Crocker, Max Daigle, Arlene Dato, Gail Davidson, Annabelle Edge, Karen Epstein Gilboa, Ryan Gassner, Jen Gilbert, and Jesse. Richard Gergis, Leighton Gray, Maria Gucci, Lindy Hall, Dan Hartman, Greg Hill, Dr. York Shung, Brooke Jackson, Kayla Jones, James Kitchen, Karen Cobell, Brian Cranky, Janina Cranky, Henry Liu, Officer Andrew McGillivray, Scarlett Martin, Deanna McLeod, Dr. Chris Milburn, Nicole Minikin, Tanya Minikin, Sergio Molina, Kelly Sue Oberly, Dr. Eric Payne, Dr. Stephen Pellick, Beverly Purley, Dr. Patrick Phillips, Gordon Polavoy, Dr. Julie Panessi, Sam Presvelos, Mar- Maralina Repo, Padre Harold Risto, Alan Rubin, Dr. Richard Shabas, Chris Schaefer, David Shaw, Josh Shulman, Leslie Smith, Irvin Studen, Susan Vander Rassel, Audrey Vanderhook, Steve Van Leeuwen, Haley Weinrauch, Jaden Weinrauch, Nadine Wilson, and Dr. Chong Wong. Let their names not be forgotten. And many of them are continuing to fight, and that's the best part. Many did, many did get the opportunity to speak again at the NCI, particularly the professionals. And it goes without saying, the, the most effort will need to go into the non-professionals in terms of keeping their names in everyone's heads. So, let's hope. Let's hope that uh, this has done some of that. But you know, well, and last but not least, I just want to add that all of their individual testimonies can be found at citizenshearing.ca and they will be up there for as long as the internet exists, as far as I'm concerned. So if you are curious, you can go. And if, 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 if you can sacrifice the time, um, you won't regret it, though it may not be easy. But there's some practical action and uh, practical knowledge that we can take from this process because something rather interesting has happened, has come to light, you might say. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to direct our attention to the testimony of Dr. Patrick Phillips of Ontario, Canada. As summarized in his presentation at a citizens hearing in June 2022, and as reiterated again during his National Citizens Inquiry testimony, Dr. Phillips has had his uh, has had his medical license suspended on the truly egregious grounds of doing his job. Leaving aside what are equally important discussions uh, around his ability as a physician to treat patients with. Health Canada approved highly safe and by most accounts, highly effective medications and his right to advocate on behalf of his patients right to choose to not wear a face covering. I want to focus on the fact that Dr. Phillips has been sanctioned for reporting adverse events experienced by his patients following receipt of a COVID-19 vaccine. Now, I'm I'm just going to quote again from a Citizens Hearing book for a moment. Phillips testified that there are major issues with Canada's current vaccine reporting system. He has observed many adverse events coming through his emergency department, including patient profiles that include facial numbness that lasted for eight days, left arm weakness, not able to work and frequently dropping things, abdominal pain and vomiting, heart palpitations, large rash over entire arm and growing, arm numbness and weakness with fatigue could not work, stroke and other causes were ruled out, Progression in dementia, no longer talking, had to be hospitalized. Severe fever and arm weakness, hospitalized two days later. Severe vertigo and tinnitus, impairing ability to drive. Dr. Phillips reported all of these cases to public health, which he must do under the law. After the first five submissions, Ontario's public health officer sent him a letter. The letter, dated April 27, 2021, read, For your information... All five of the cases do not meet reported criteria for adverse events following immunization. Phillips was surprised that all five were rejected. The PHO then gave him access to a document that went over the criteria for reporting AEFIs. The single-page document listed anesthesia and paresthesia, both of which have to occur within 15 days of the injection or is disqualified. If a patient faints and has an injury, it only counts within 30 minutes of taking the shot. This is very limited and is in stark contrast to Health Canada regulations. They have much broader definitions of, of adverse events that doctors are obliged to report in order to be able to maintain safety in pharmaceutical products. Now, this is something that is not exclusive to Canada. I'm sure in the United States and across the world, you've had your own process of learning what the requirements are on behalf of doctors. Who holds the liability if they don't report something? What qualifies as mandatory reporting? It may be different in jurisdiction to jurisdiction, but largely there are responsibilities. At a minimum, there are strong recommendations generally that any adverse events to a pharmaceutical product of any kind should be reported, even if they're not proven to be caused by the thing. Now, Phillips reiterated in a tweet from December 20, 2022, that his medical license was suspended in part for reporting adverse reactions to the COVID vaccines. But don't feel obligated to take his word for it. As reported by CBC News on May third twenty 2022, In a statement to CBC News, a spokesperson for the college said that its investigations, complaints, and reports committee, IR, oh, sorry, ICRC, ordered Phillips be handed an interim suspension order. The committee said Phillips was allegedly, quote, incompetent in relation to his patient care and reporting adverse events following immunization. That's nuts. Now, Dr. Phillips is far from the only. Doctor who faced retribution for reporting suspected COVID 19 vaccine injuries. There are also doctors who presumably have successfully reported adverse events following immunization, given the fact that official sources happily admit that some people have indeed been injured. Here is a snapshot from the Government of Canada claiming that as of March 3rd, 2023, there were 54,569 adverse events reported, with 10,685 described as serious. Now, we'd have to look at the criteria for what qualifies as serious, but that's a lot of people. And as is well known by now and is plain to see, this number represents only a fraction of the true number of adverse events suffered by COVID-19 vaccine recipients, including the most serious injuries. Dead people can't report there for themselves, of course. Now, while the vaccine adverse event reporting system in the United States, known widely as VAERS, while VAERS allows anybody to file a report, assuming they can navigate the clunky and challenging system, Canadians have not been granted such an opportunity throughout the COVID-19 vaccine rollout. This is absurd on its face. Why would that not be available to people? But it's even, it's even more shocking than this, it turns out. There are a few things that have just come to light that should truly shock anybody with any ounce of conscience and intellect. Now, I'm going to pull this screen down, and I'm going to share another screen. If you hold tight real quick. We're going to jump over here. So, as it turns out, all the way up until the COVID 19 era, Canadian consumers could, in fact, file their own adverse events directly with the Government of Canada. This is a snapshot. The snapshot itself is from September 20th, 2020. And the Date modified on the page is December 30th, 2019. And as you see here, the title of the page, Report a Side Effect to a Vaccine Consumers. Uh, I'll read from the page. Everyone, everyone who witnesses or experiences a side effect, adverse reaction, following immunization is strongly encouraged to report it. You may ask your health care provider doctor, healthcare provider, pharmacist to help you. And immediately under this of course is a button, a handy button here that says report a side effect. So there's an online process to mail your report to a Canada Vigilance regional office use the postage paid label. So indeed you have two options. You can either file online or you can print it out, fill it out by hand and then mail it at no cost to a so-called Vigilance Regional Office. And then they talk about what a vaccine is. They have a number of links. So this is what it used to look like. But then the COVID-19 vaccine rollout started. And we're gonna we're gonna see what it what it looked like next. You see the page has changed. Let's look at that again. Here's what it looked like before the COVID vaccine rollout. Here's what it changed to. The title remains the same, but on this page is now a little different. What are vaccines? With a slight weird typo. Tracking adverse events following immunization. Everyone who witnesses or experiences a side effect to a vaccine is strongly encouraged to report it. Ask your healthcare provider, for example, doctor, nurse, or pharmacist, to complete an adverse events following immunization form. Submit it on your behalf. To your local public health unit. Interesting. So what was you may ask for help? Now it's you must send it through a healthcare provider. No longer is the button to submit an adverse event using the handy-dandy online form present. Interesting. Well, what are vaccines? Uh some given orally, nasally, most by injection. And then they go on and they've added a bit about tracking adverse events. Health Canada and the Public Health Agency of Canada share the monitoring of the safety of vaccines in Canada. So, yes, good stuff there. And But there's there's more here. It's very interesting. What, uh, manufacturers of all drugs, including vaccines, must report serious adverse reactions in Canada. Unexpected serious adverse reactions in other countries interesting, or unusual failures in efficacy for new drugs in Canada. Well, I suppose we did hear about them, didn't we? But I can't imagine we heard about them at the earliest possible opportunity. Well, we don't have to speculate on that. But notice there's also this very interesting graph that was added. Let's see if we can get a closer look. So this is the flow of uh, the chain of custody, you might say, of an adverse event following immunization or AFI report. Vaccine recipient, talks to their healthcare provider who then submits an initial report to their local public health unit. By the way, that has to be done by mail now. You can't submit it online at this point in time anymore, even if you're a healthcare worker. And then the local public health unit may choose, assuming the healthcare provider agrees with the patient, they may choose to submit from the local public health unit to the federal, provincial, or territorial immunization authorities, who then themselves will evaluate and decide whether or not to send it on to the Public Health Agency of Canada, who then would be one of the two final bodies to receive it, because they, of course, would then share that with Health Canada. Now, for those who don't know, here's the way this works. The Public Health Agency of Canada... Uh, Well, let's let's do it this way. Health Canada is responsible for the approval, the authorization of products in Canada. And then once that occurs, then the Public Health Agency of Canada develops guidelines for the use of the approved drugs. And that's what happened for the COVID-19 vaccines as well. Kind of. And then you see, of course, market authorization holders, they have to report to Health Canada anything that goes wrong. All right. Fantastic. When was this? when was this changed well let's look the 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 snapshot is from december 27th 2020 okay it was changed on december 1st 2020 immediately before the first shots were administered in canada now what happened is a colleague of mine on on Uh, with whom I work on a task force focused on issues like this, had submitted a Freedom of Information request seeking information about why this change occurred. Why is it that before the COVID-19 vaccines, you could, as a consumer, as one might expect you'd be able to, you could submit a report if you were injured by a pharmaceutical product? It's clear that some people are insisting you kind of have to or are strongly recommended to. So, why? Why, Health Canada? Why, Public Health Agency of Canada, did you change this? There's a, I believe it's a 60 day deadline in Canada to provide responses to freedom of information requests. They bypassed that multiple times. So, on February, in late February, 2023. My colleague said, "You know what? I have a different route that I can take. There's multiple ways to uh, access public information um, in Canada. Uh, one one of them is is through uh, your member of parliament. Let's uh, is a good way to summarize it. So she indicated that she was going to do that instead. So you know what? You can you guys aren't going to give this to me. So as my colleague is discussing with their member of parliament." She pulls up this page again, but notices it has changed yet again. Let's take a look at how this page looks today. Everyone who witnesses or experiences a side effect to a vaccine is strongly encouraged to report it. Ask your healthcare provider, for example, doctor, nurse, or pharmacist, to complete an adverse events following immunization form. As you can see, it's a PDF, which would then be printed out and sent in and submitted on your behalf to local public health unit. Reports submitted by healthcare providers often contain additional information that is useful for Health Canada's safety assessment. If you are unable to report adverse reactions through a healthcare provider, Or, if you prefer to report directly to Health Canada, well, look at that, ladies and gentlemen. The button is back. You can now report a side effect to Health Canada again. Directly online or using the mail. And it does not have to go through the healthcare provider. What else has changed? Well, there's this diagram again. Now let's see, what what did that diagram used to look like? Okay, there's that. Now let's jump back over here and it's clearly different. So let's zoom in and see the specifics. You have the vaccine recipient. You also have the vaccine recipient here. So it looks as though you can submit multiple ways. In fact, three different ways. You can submit to your healthcare provider and wouldn't you know it, there's a little message right under here. It reads, In many provinces and territories, healthcare providers must report by law. Exactly as Dr. Patrick Phillips did. And was sanctioned for. And yes, they then submit through the yada, yada. So that's if you want to go that route. But you can, of course, also submit to health canada directly if you are the vaccine recipient and as previously described you can also submit directly to pfizer or directly to moderna whoever it is who's ever product you've taken now here's the question ladies and gentlemen when was this changed it was changed on february 28th 2023 The same day my colleague last emailed the freedom of information people responsible for getting her the answer as to why this had changed in the first place. This was the last day, the day on which they were informed that she would be pursuing the same information, perhaps embarrassing information, through another source where she would likely have much better luck how can this be explained how can it be that for the entirety of the the entirety of the covid era as far as vaccines being available for the entire covid-19 vaccine rollout which one might say is essentially over how can it be without any other explanation that it was made tremendously difficult For people to report. COVID-19 vaccine injuries. How is it that this was the. Most robust. Safety monitoring. That any agency has ever undertook. Which I believe is how the FDA has framed it. Or the CDC perhaps. How can it be. That doctors. Are legally required to report. And yet when they do. They are sanctioned. Ridiculed. tarred and feathered. defamed how can it be that the people who walked out or perhaps that's not even the correct word for some how could they be left how could a choice have been made to make it as hard as possible to put as many barriers as possible in place between them and simply an acknowledgement, simply an opportunity to talk to someone, to tell someone on the record, I believe I've had an injury to this pharmaceutical product. And then when they go through their healthcare provider, they're told it takes too long. It costs too much money. I can't. I've been told not to file adverse event reports. I have a colleague who was just sanctioned for doing so. There are no adverse events to these shots. Pick your poison. I don't know about you. But this is weird. To me. And. I called it a smoking gun. I suppose we'll see. But as as a summary, what this looks like to me is the government of Canada planned from the get-go to cover their ears and go la-la-la-la-la for the entirety of the COVID-19 vaccine rollout. And I guess now they decided that they were under too much scrutiny or something something has changed I won't even speculate as to what it could be I suppose something changed and now you can report again so I guess what I'm going to end with is all of that considered I'm not sure how to feel about this The World Health Organization downgrades COVID pandemic says it's no longer a global emergency. I don't exactly celebrate this. I don't feel like this is good news. I don't think they're wrong. I don't think COVID-19 has been a public health emergency. Possibly ever. But it certainly has not been a public health emergency since March 2020. I'll give you two weeks. In retrospect, I'll give you two weeks. It, would, it was a mistake. People, there were people who knew it would be a mistake. But most people could be excused. Not, Not the second time. Not the third, fourth, fifth time. The emergency is not over. I think it's very clear to most people we have not ended an era of suffering directly related to actions taken in response to the declaration of a pandemic for COVID. I wish I could offer more in terms of celebration that the World Health Organization has given their stamp of approval to that wrapping up. People can travel in Canada again. People can very shortly go to the states if they're considered an unvaccinated person. The public health emergency and the national emergency and all that are going away. Well, some of them are just being suspended. I wish I felt like it, it was appropriate to take a victory lap, but I don't. And, uh, I suppose I'll end it like this. I have never seen so many people ready to listen to others. I've never seen so many people ready to learn new things. Uh, my partner Sam was able to tell her family that I participated in the National Citizens Inquiry and they genuinely appeared interested. Perhaps they always would have been, but I know I would have been too scared to tell them 6 months ago. So let me know in your life where can we find where can we find the the positivity? Where can we find the light? Because if this isn't over, then that means there's a lot of people who need a lot of other people to be good and positive and simply ready to keep listening and talking. And you guys, everybody who's been tuning in, uh, since the start of the Rounding the Earth podcast, which is coming up on a year ago, you have helped you've helped make this place a place where we can hear and share and talk, and listen, and debate, and disagree. And I've heard from people who uh, they've noticed that, and it has made an impact in at least some people's lives. And it couldn't happen without all of you, because otherwise it would just be me, or me and Matthew, or just Matthew, talking into blank internet. So we did this together, and whatever it is we do now in our lives, in, uh, in this particular cause we continue to do it together. So thank you. This has been an interesting one, but thank you all for watching this episode of Rounding the Earth. I'm going to get my little presentation back up here real quick to give us our fun little outro um, to say on the subject of community, If you want to join uh, a a very specific community, the -the roundingtheearth.locals.com community is one of the best. You can go there, keep up to date with everything we're doing, conversations just like this one, um, and uh, uh, occasionally disagreements. Um, And you can also use it as a place to uh, support the show financially, which I can't can't under-express how... How uh, thankful I am for those of you who choose to do so and there are a lot of you and it does allow me to spend time very valuable time um, doing very valuable things. Um, And uh, I I appreciate that very much. And um, it's 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 a any opportunity to come together with people ready to learn and argue is a good place to be and rounding the dot is one such place but it all started of course with rounding the earth dot where matthew continues to write provocative well thought out well researched and tremendously interesting pieces and i highly recommend you subscribe there if you haven't already last but not least i have been liam sturgis i'm a musician and you can find me at liamsturgis.com and uh One day I'd like to go back to being on stage. That's one of the things I'm fighting for. So thank you for helping fight for that with me. I hope you all have an absolutely fantastic rest of your afternoon or evening or wherever it is you are in the world and whatever time it is. Just know you are never alone.